Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Good morning. Great to be back at Mounties. I love, I love coming here. I love your worship team. I love the way you worship here, and I'm not against smoke and mirrors, but um, I just love the way you worship. I love the piano, and I love... There's, a, there's just a richness, a real dignity and professionalism about your worship here. So thanks for leaning in. I've really, really enjoyed it. My, I'm very excited about Wednesday night. In fact, I'm super excited to quote my six-year-old grandson. He's, very, he's super excited about everything, but particularly about school. I'm super excited to be preaching in a moment and sharing on Wednesday night. I will be sharing the platform with... My good friend Lynn Schuf, she is the founder and oversees a ministry called Pregnancy Matters. They run centres in Rockingham and Albany that help women experiencing an unplanned or crisis pregnancy, both with pregnancy testing and counselling and mentoring and practical help during pregnancy and also parenting courses and help afterwards. Great ministry. She's also on the board of Pregnancy Help Australia, which is kind of like the peak body for all the pregnancy-related services to, to women and families. And it's going to be good. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be confronting at times. But we're going to have a, a wonderful, intelligent, reasoned and reasonable discussion about the life issue. And then I believe Anna Rogers, your own Anna Rogers from this church, is going to be part of the panel discussion with both Lynn and I, so it's, it's going to be great. So please come understand it's been well supported, lots of other churches here joining you, which is great. And congratulations on being part of the whole church unity movement. It's countercultural. Uh, you know, churches typically, or I guess culturally, want to build their own patch and you know, just keep their head down. Uh, and, but what they build in that regard then is just an empire, They don't build the kingdom. And so you've decided as a church that you care about not just your local area, but you care about your city and your state and your nation. And so I want to encourage you to continue that that unity movement because it is very countercultural. The employees of Ford and Toyota might go to the same conference, but they don't have a vested interest in the other organisations succeeding. Whereas you're willing to give away what you have and what you know because it blesses more people. It's about building God's kingdom and not our empire. So well done. I want to commend you on that. As Nick said, I am the CEO of Emily's Voice. We use creative, compelling, lovely media campaigns to do two things, to help Australians fall in love with the unborn. And so our ads feature the beauty, dignity and value of children and of life, but also show the beauty, dignity and value of motherhood and of women. And so we run those ads in four states, including here in Western Australia, and we're currently reaching about 5 million people with our campaigns. Our next one is going to start in July and go through to November, and you'll see billboards and TV ads on your screens and on your roadsides over here. So as I said, please come on Wednesday night. If you'd like to know more about Emily's Voice, go to emilysvoice.com. And join the Movement for Life. We have a a wonderful advocacy program of of really inspiring and educating, but more importantly, mobilising you to to be an advocate for life and for motherhood and for family. Well, we're going to get into the Word now, and so how about we just 
just just settle ourselves and uh, I'm going to pray as we come around the word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is truth. It's eternally true and relevant to us. It doesn't grow old or stale. There's a freshness and a vibrancy and a power in your word. And you said of your word that it would not return to you empty or void, but would accomplish that for which it has been purposed. You said your word is sharper than a double-edged sword that divides soul and spirit and joint and marrow and judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so we willingly come under the sound and the power of your word. We don't want to be entertained this morning. We want to be challenged and comforted and confronted. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us both individually and collectively as we come around your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So what's the point? You know, there's usually three, isn't there, in a sermon. I think I've only got one. And so I think it's, it's only fair that you tell people up front what you're trying to communicate. Then it takes all the guesswork out of it, like what's, what's he on about? And so the outcome, what am I trying to achieve from this message is that by the end of this message, we want, to be, we want to have put women in their place. In fact, it's long overdue for us to have put women in their place. Now, I can already see the hairs on the backs of some women's necks going up. And, but before you walk out or you stone me or you start tweeting or posting with the hashtag, who does he think he is, let me come with me on the journey. So... The purpose of this morning's message is to put women in their proper place, in their rightful place, in the place that God intended and as Jesus so beautifully demonstrated for us. My wife is very wise, um, not because she married me, just because in spite of that, she likes to remind me that women are not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be discovered. Not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be discovered. I'm going to take the word anonymous off there and put her name on it because I don't know where it came from, so she may as well claim that. So to the men in the audience, if you see your wife or partner or girlfriend as a problem and you're trying to fix her, how's that working for you? Dr Phil would say that, wouldn't he? So how's that working for you? You know, insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So if we see them not as a problem to be solved but a mystery to be discovered, then it changes our whole perspective, doesn't it? It changes the way we act. So what I want to start with by saying is that that men and women are equal but they are not the same. Men and women are equal but they are not the same. And this morning as I was preparing, and I didn't spend long on Twitter, so don't worry, but I saw this wonderful tweet that I thought was very appropriate. It said, how is it that when archaeologists find some ancient human remains, they always are either male or female and never the other 700 genders? See, we're created to be delightfully different, equal but complementary And so to put women in their proper place, we need to remember who they are and whose they are and in whose image they are made. Again, my wife of 37 years, I asked her, so what is it that women want? The age-old question that men 
have been struggling to find an answer for. What, what do women want? Who knows? 37 years and I, I know, you know, somebody said, you must know a lot about women. I said, I know about this much. I knew about that much when I started. And I said, do I have, could, could you sum it up in a sentence? I'm trying to prepare this message about, about putting women in their rightful place and honouring women. What is it that they want? And unlike me, she didn't say the first thing that came to mind. She actually thought about it. And she said, you know, the one thing that every woman wants or wants the answer to is that, is am I lovable? Am I lovable? Not am I beautiful or pretty or am I smart or does my bum look big in this? Um, Am I lovable? Am I worthy of another's love? Be that male or female. And am I worthy of God's love? Is the question that women are asking. So in this morning, this morning in the time we have left, what I want to do is is look at how Jesus treated women. He treated women in his world as as a guide for us to follow is how we should treat the women in ours. And the first thing I want to suggest to you is that Jesus was a radical feminist. You may not think that. You don't normally equate Jesus being a radical feminist. But he was. He, in the male-dominated culture of his day, he pretty much broke every cultural taboo when he touched, when he taught, when he befriended, when he honoured, when he raised, when he walked alongside women. You see, you've got to remember at that time that women were really no more than property of men. They couldn't own property, they had no right to vote, they had no standing in social issues. Their testimony couldn't be used in court. In a sense, a lot of them were just unpaid baby makers and mothers. And yet God goes to, to great lengths to mention five specific women in the genealogy of Jesus. And they are Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, Bathsheba, and Mary. It's interesting that, that both Rahab and Ruth, neither of whom are Jewish, yet they appear in the genealogy of Jesus. Rahab is described in scripture as what? A prostitute. Tamar prostitutes herself, sleeps with her father-in-law at one point, and Bathsheba is forever known as an adulteress. Interesting, isn't it? David we always think of as a king. Bathsheba we always think of firstly as what? An adulteress. So God is sending a powerful message about the value of women, all women, regardless of circumstances of conception and age and size and whether they work inside the home or not. See, all women have equal value, inestimable value, based on whose they are and not what they do, how much money they have or who they know. And so God chooses quite wisely to allow an unwed teen to be the mother of Jesus. And given that Joseph is not mentioned in scripture beyond about the age of 12, when Jesus is about the age of 12, many Bible scholars believe that that Joseph died when Jesus was around 11, 12, 13, and that he was ostensibly primarily raised by a a very competent single mum. Now, I know it takes a village to raise a child, and in that culture, the family would have stepped in, but she was his major responsibility. 
The first miracle, of course, is what? Jesus turning water into wine at the insistence of his mum. Jesus drops everything to raise a little girl from the dead, a little girl who in and of herself didn't have much value in the culture of the day. He goes out of his way to connect with one Samaritan woman who's drawing water from the well at midday so she won't have to bear the stares of and the disdain of those in her society. Jesus literally runs into a funeral procession and so raises a widow's only son from the dead and he's stopped in his tracks by one woman who dares to grab the edge of his garment. And he both heals her and then affirms her and her value. And on the cross, Jesus turns to his best mate John and says, you know, look after my mum. And mum, take John as your son. Jesus was the ultimate champion of women. Now imagine for a moment that your greatest sin, the one you most want uncovered, or sorry, covered, remain covered. Imagine that we portray it up on the screen for everyone to see and the room's packed and Jesus is sitting in the front row. Well, that's kind of what it felt like for the woman that we know as the woman caught in adultery. And so we're going to unpack that scripture this morning and see how Jesus dealt with this shameful woman. The story is John in John chapter 8. It's from verses 3 to 11 and we're going to look at it from the NIV, so you can watch the screens or, or turn to your version in your hard copy or on your app. It starts. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the big, the big men or the big shots as I call them, brought in a woman caught in adultery. It's funny how we never hear about the man caught in adultery. Maybe she raped him. And they made her stand before the group. She's half naked and totally humiliated. And said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now notice that they call him teacher, but she's this woman, unnamed but now known to all. And they then proceed to teach him the law. Now this is the guy who wrote the law, who is the fulfilment of the law. And he says, and they say to him, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Well, women are still being stoned in some cultures in 2019 as a result of crimes proven and unproven. Now, what do you say? They were using this question to trap him in order to have a basis for accusing him. So the woman's not even important in and of herself. She's just the means to an end. She's a pawn in a political game. We need to trap him. Oh, here's a a convenient excuse. We've found a woman caught in adultery. Hey, let's drag her out and see how he deals with this one. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Well, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. 
And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, is there no one here to condemn you? No one, sir, she replied. And then we read some of the most profound verses in Scripture. I mean, I know it's all profound, but wow. He says, Then neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. So here is the one who could rightfully and reasonably have condemned her, but he refused. It's interesting, isn't it? He, he, he straightens up and he looks at her. He sees her. He sees the individual. He sees the woman. He looks in her eyes. He doesn't look at her chest. He doesn't see her nakedness. He just sees her eyes. And he says, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. Then neither do I. Now go and leave your life of sin doesn't excuse, doesn't condone, doesn't say, oh, that's okay. But nor does he condemn her. She's been put in her proper place. She's been restored. There's been a factory reboot, if you like. Reconciled, redeemed, restored, reinstated. And it's time for us to reinstate the women in our culture in our families, in our communities, in our nation and in the nations. And to recognise the inherent and irrevocable value of women, handcrafted, masterpieces from a master potter. And to make a deliberate and a purposeful decision to put them in their proper place. To see women as God does, as Jesus demonstrated, and not as how culture dictates. So what's the takeaway? What's the application? Well, first let me speak to the men in the audience who are also husbands. Husbands are told to love their wives. It's, it's unconditional. There's no ifs or buts or whens. And while husband is, all, is a noun, it's also a verb. To husband means to protect and to honour and respect and give dignity to and to nurture And with regards to all the other men, how should the rest of us or all of us treat other women who are not our wives? Well, Paul gives this wonderful, simple explanation in 1 Timothy, telling a young Timothy all the things about being a young pastor, a young evangelist. And I guess he gets to the the point of you're going to have to deal with women. So how do you do that? And he just gives them a very, very simple instruction that we can all take on board. He says, look, you treat the older women as mothers or grandmothers and you treat the younger women as sisters or daughters. See them as mums or grandmothers or sisters or daughters. And then there's a comma and then he says these three wonderful words, with absolute purity. Treat them with absolute purity. There can't be even a hint of immorality Don't ogle, admire. Build up, don't tear down. Give honour to and respect to. Don't oppress or control. You see, I really believe that women can be all that they're meant to be when, when males act as men, or should I say gentlemen. You see, domestic violence and prostitution and abortion and pornography are just evidence that we are failing women as men. Not just men, 
but primarily. You see, our sons and our daughters learn what it means to be a man or a woman and how to treat a spouse and how to treat one another based on how they see men treat their wives or men treat their girlfriends or men treat their partners or men treat their female colleagues. The generations are watching to see, to take their cues or what it is to be a man or a woman based on how the, the sexes treat one another. And so if you're a father or you're a father figure, you need to realise that people are watching, that everything about us says something about us. And so I want to do a couple of things as we end this morning. And the first is on behalf of all the men, including myself, I want to apologise to the women in the room for all the times that we've mistreated you and oppressed you and controlled you and used our strength to keep you down for the times we've joked about you, dismissed you, silenced you, objectified you. And I want us to pray. I want to pray firstly for the company of men and then for our women. Is that okay? Okay, why don't you just just quieten your hearts, just close your eyes. Nothing magic about closing our eyes, but just... Blocks everything out, allows the Holy Spirit to just, to just continue to minister to us. So men, would you just join us? Just be, just be saying yes and amen in your heart as, as you hear these words and make them your own. Lord, we acknowledge the times we have failed to protect and defend the women in our families, in our communities, our nation and our world. And we acknowledge our own hypocrisy and condemning attitudes and forgive us for our indifference and our apathy and for the times we've pressured women to do things that we know are not in their best interests for abrogating our responsibility to lead with love for the times we've objectified and vilified and criticised women for our pride and our violence and our control. Forgive us for the times when our love is shallow and conditional and transactional and selfish. Forgive us and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Give us clean hands and a pure heart. Renew our minds, transform our thinking and our actions. Show us, Holy Spirit, with each interaction, how to act with absolute purity. We ask all this in Jesus' name, in whose strong name we depend and rely. Amen. Thank you. Now to the women, if you'd pray with me or allow me to pray with you. Lord God, we thank you for making women in your image. Co-heirs, equals, compatible with men yet delightfully and beautifully different and magnificently unique. You broke the mould when you made each one. And our prayer this morning is that you restore each woman here to her proper rightful place. May she know that she is dearly loved, wholly acceptable, beautifully made. May she see herself as you do, holy, 
dignified, worthy of honour and respect. This day we ask that you'd remove the guilt and shame and condemnation of their sin and of being sinned against. Forgive them for the times they have not stood up for themselves or for one another. When they've bought into the lie of culture. And in the name of Jesus, we silence every accusing voice, every lie of the enemy, every stronghold of the heart and of the soul and of the mind. Lord, forgive them as they forgive themselves and they forgive others. Remove their sin and shame as far as the east is from the west. Thank you for your incredible truth, but for your amazing grace. And again, we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. What I don't want us to do is is leave things undone or unfinished. And so... As I said in the first service, this morning, if this has stirred up something for you, individually or as a couple, then don't, don't go home in the same condition you came. I want to invite you to come forward and allow a number of us to pray with you, to just stand with you. Perhaps you feel kind of stuck. Maybe you can't forgive things that have been done to you or the things you've done to yourself or to others. Or maybe you're a bit stuck in your relationship. It's just not quite as good as it could or should be. There's something that's a blockage that remains in your relationship that's keeping you somewhat divided. Not split, but but not altogether holy there. Or maybe you don't know this Jesus of whom whom I speak, the one who is the great healer, the one who forgives unconditionally, that embraces us and says, come. Or maybe you have another need. It doesn't have to be a relational need. It could be physical or mental, whatever. But don't, don't rush home. Don't let pride stop you. Well, who's looking? Is someone else? Do they know what I've done? This is between you and God. This is, this is holy ground. We've created a platform where God longs to move in our lives. And not just collectively, but meet you at your point of individual need. And so as we sing, I just want to invite you to come. If that's you, then I would just be so privileged. I would count it a great honour. Not not as someone who's got it all together, but as someone who, who really understands some of what you're going through. And I would just love to pray with you. So God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329 Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.